It's the becoming self-aware does not mean that you're going to turn into this, um, you know, unconfident, overly critical person. It means that you're going to see yourself for who you are, that you're going to work on what you want to work on. But ultimately, you're going to love and accept that person. Welcome to the Up In Your Business podcast, building you to do business better. This show is about intention, transparency, and insights from business professionals sharing their personal business. Discover what they've learned the hard way so you don't have to. Empowering a new breed of self-aware leadership. Here's your host, Angus Nelson. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 065 of the Up In Your Business podcast. It is so great to have you here. I'm your host, Angus Nelson, and I am a speaker, a writer. I do some coaching as well as business consulting. If you are seeking to advance your level of influence and confidence and impact, and if you want some solid, practical, and actionable business insights, well, you have come to the right place. I believe that if you want to take your business up, you need to start by getting up in your business. And today is no exception. I want to start off by saying first, um, we had some editing issues during uh, this particular interview. So if you hear some weird wonky stuff going on, know that I did my best to bring you a quality product, regardless of some of the technical difficulties that tried to haunt us. And that aside, I am more than excited. I'm ecstatic even to share this interview with you simply because it's a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. It's about self-awareness, emotional intelligence, or as my guest calls it, insights. We're speaking with an organizational psychologist. She's a researcher and a New York Times bestselling author. She built a reputation as a fresh, modern voice in the business world by pairing her scientific grounding in human behavior with a pragmatic approach to solving problems. And over the last 15 years or so, she's helped thousands of professionals from Fortune 500 executives to early stage entrepreneurs to improve their self-awareness and their success. And we're going to talk a lot about that on the show today. So like I said, I'm really excited to get you into this uh, particular interview. Now, um, she's been in like Huffington Post and Entrepreneur and all, all these other, you know, great stuff. She's she's kind of a big deal. She's even been on uh, a TED Talk where she's got like, I don't know, a million, million and a half uh, downloads or something like that. So she wrote a book and that book is called Insight, Why We're Not as Self-Aware as We Think and How Seeing Ourselves Clearly Helps Us Succeed in Work and Life. I'm excited for you to hear this interview. I'm talking with Tasha Yurik. So let's jump into that interview right now. Well, welcome to the show, Tasha. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. I have a question for you. Who was the person that made you feel the most special recently? Oh, my gosh. Well, probably my husband. I, As you will find when you release your book, it can be a crazy time. And he goes out of his way to just make life better for me today. He got me a venti iced coffee from Starbucks and it changed my entire day. That's fantastic. And here's the secondary question to that is, did you let him know he made you feel special? Uh, today, I remember too. But that's a good reminder for all of us, I think. You're awesome. I love it. That's great. Well, I want to dive into your new book called Insight, Why We're Not as Self-Aware as We Think and How Seeing Ourselves Clearly Helps Us Succeed at Work and Life. So I, as an organizational psychologist for the last 15 years, am often hired to tell very senior level executives the truth about their leadership when either everybody else uh, doesn't want to or everybody else is afraid to. And what I found in working with so many of these folks is, you know, most bosses go to work every day and want to do the best they can and ultimately are not as aware of how they're seen by their team or even sort of who they are and what they want as they could be. 
And so I actually started about three years ago diving into the topic of self-awareness scientifically. Um, my research team and I did a three-year study where, among a lot of other things, we looked at people who dramatically improved their understanding of themselves and reaped these just crazy huge personal and professional rewards. And I'm more confident than ever, actually, that almost anyone, if they if they make the decision and if they do the work, can see those same benefits by, by really getting to know sort of who they are and how they're seen by the people that they work with. Uh, and it's something I'm just incredibly passionate about. Well, you, you actually mentioned in your book that uh, research uh, shows that self-awareness is the meta skill of the 21st century. Can you kind of unpack that for us, please? Sure. So, and this is my research as well as people that have been examining this for decades. We found that people who are self-aware are more successful in their careers. They get more promotions. They have better uh, professional and personal relationships. They're more effective leaders. And this is a crazy one. They, they even lead more profitable companies. And the reason I call self-awareness the meta skill of the 21st century is if you think about it, all of the most important competencies that we need to succeed in, in the world we live in now are based off of our level of self-awareness. So you think about the best influencers, the best communicators, the best negotiators, all of them know who they are um, and equally importantly, how they're coming across to other people. So again, I go back to this idea that if you want to improve the success in your career, it's one of the most powerful places that you can start. And for you, like, at what point did the light bulb go on for you that you needed to address some of this stuff even in your own life. Yeah, well, it's funny because I, as a self-awareness researcher, I feel like the bar is pretty high and I've got to practice what I preach, right? And so, you know, I, I tell a bunch of stories in the book about rude awakenings that I've had where I've gotten feedback from people. Um, but I also feel that it's true for my clients. I think, you know, I tell one story in the book about an executive named Steve who started out as just, you know, metaphorically, uh, what I call a trail of dead bodies leader. He was hemorrhaging money, his people kept quitting. And in our work together, which took about six months, he was able to completely turn around, not just his own performance, but how his business was functioning. And I remember in that moment, just sitting back and saying, my God, this is the key. Obviously, you know, it's not enough to be self-aware. You have to be competent at your job and you have to continue to develop your other skills. But it was such a dramatic improvement that that for me was the light bulb moment where I said, I want to help as many people do this as I possibly can. And was that before you took everybody out and you were celebrating with friends and everybody was <laughs> drinking and then one of the girls said something to you about how you're so much nicer now. <laughs> yes, this was a, that actually was embarrassingly uh, recently. It was probably about a year ago when I was deep into the work on this book. But and just for your listeners, my a, a longtime friend of mine, uh, you know, and we're often most honest when we've had a little bit to drink. She kind of pulled me aside and said, "Oh, I'm so glad we're friends." And boy, have you come a long way since I met you ten years ago. And it led to a, a very enlightening but very difficult conversation where apparently 26-year-old me was a little bit a little bit more full of herself and high maintenance than 36-year-old me was at the time. But I do feel like even though those moments can be you know challenging, they can strike us at any moment, no matter what happens, it gives us the power to control our destiny and to improve if we choose to work on that skill. And mercifully, you know, apparently she said, I've gotten a lot better in the last 10 years, but it is something that I constantly think about as a way to strengthen my relationships and, and my professional life. And you talk about some of the discoveries and those different moments where we kind of have those aha moments, like the earthquake mm -hmm. um, was one of them. Can you kind of uh, share with us, you know, where are those moments that we need to be um, open to that kind of insight? That's a great question. In my research, I was very shocked to find that everyday moments of insight were just as powerful in improving our self-awareness than these kind of, you know, I call them earthquake or these dramatic events that turn our world upside down. I tell a story in my book, and this is so minute, but I think it's a powerful example of a woman who was um, moving in with her college roommate into their first apartment after they graduated. And she noticed that she was bossing her roommate around and getting really upset about where they were putting all the different utensils in their kitchen. 
And she said, wait a minute. She took a step back and she thought about what she had been saying. And she said, wow, I might be a little bit more controlling than I ever thought I was. And what I love about that story and what I love about that finding is that we sort of don't have to wait for these powerful earth shattering events to get to know ourselves better. If we make the decision on a day to day basis to pay attention and to ask people how they see us, those sort of incremental improvements that we make on a day to day basis can add up to just huge improvements over time. And to me, at least, it feels a little bit less intimidating, right? It's something we can work on and practice instead of just wait for something to happen. Yeah. And you were saying, uh, kind of in that same section, you know, whenever you're exposed to something new, new roles, new places, new positions, they always open up uh, new insights. And I like to say that so many times in work, we are all staring at the same mountain just from a different perspective. And if we'd have the humility enough to take a step to the left or the right, we might see things from a different perspective. Oh, so well said. I agree completely. Yeah. And for me, like I had the earthquake moment in my life. I was probably a little bit more like your personality at your 26 years of age. Um, when I was about 26, 27 years old, <laughs> a little arrogant, a little full of myself, was running a business. And uh, I was one of those guys who just thought, you know, type A, I can make it all happen. And ended up just crashing myself through becoming a workaholic. And then um, the harder I worked, you know, to try and fix things, the worse I did and ended up getting involved in addiction issues with uh, pornography and alcohol. And, and as my listeners know, I'm, I'm very transparent about it. Like, I destroyed my life. And at the same time, it was the very pinnacle moment of the best thing to ever happen to me. Because that was the earthquake moment for me that over the next three years, through some counseling and some a lot of the things you talk about in here, some reflection and observation, and then almost like standing third person next to myself as I was talking to somebody and I'd be like oh my gosh I'm totally being a douchebag right now you know (laughs) you know and being able to like process that while I'm talking yeah and that's some of the self-awareness that as I'm reading your book like I feel like you identify them as unicorns some who naturally have some of this I, I can't say necessarily that I have it naturally but I think I had it I had the opposite beat the hell out of me. So now it's like, I can't be, I can't help but be more self-aware for you. What are some of those? I keep asking you stuff about Tasha and you keep telling me stories about other people. So I'm going to press into you. What are some of the things that you, as you've kind of taken this journey that, you know, helped you become a better wife and become a better human being? Oh, man. Well, okay, so I'm going to riff on on the observation you just made. It's so funny that you say that, but everybody sort of has that piece of critical feedback that's followed them around their entire life, seemingly no matter what we do to improve it. And mine has always been that in you know professional situations or sort of with new people, I tend to be more impersonal than maybe I feel like I'm being. You know, I, I talk about research or I tell a story about someone else. And, you know, I've done so much reflection on that just about not necessarily why I'm showing up that way, because I think and I talk about this in the book, that isn't always the right question. But but sometimes I ask, what am I doing exactly that's creating that perception? You know, I've learned that I'm a perfectionist and I never want to appear unprepared. Um, I'm an introvert, surprisingly, which means that I'm not quite as comfortable bearing my soul in, in, you know, sort of newer types of situations. But what I love about that discovery and even though I'm not quite there yet, is I'm, I'm more cognizant of it, right? Even you mentioned the, some of the stories I tell in my book. My first book, I didn't do that as much. My first book, I, t- I told everybody else's stories. And so I think it's what to me that re- reinforces and is very powerfully personal is that it's a journey. And we're not going to wake up one day and go from zero to 60. But if we if we can be cognizant of it in the moment and, you know, reflect on it over time, we can make improvements. And, and I'll be the first to say I'm not quite there yet. But if I look at a year ago or five years ago, I definitely am farther than I was. And I love even in the book, you, you said, you know, this is really just a journey, right? Um, mm-hmm, exactly. Don't actually arrive. Um, and, and there's an essence, too, in kind of what I just shared with you that I just think is just a powerful principle is that. When you show yourself vulnerable, you give others permission to do the same. Mm-hmm. And you go on to share throughout the book a number of stories about Alan Mulally from uh, Ford Motor Companies. My colleague, actually, from my company is the former um, 
um, head of comms over there and social. So he knows him really well. And after reading your book, now I totally want to go talk to him and say, hey, tell me more <laughs> about Alan, man, because you worked with the dude. Oh, um, man, he's incredible. Some of that? Yeah. So this is honestly, when I worked on this book, there were a lot of really amazing, inspiring people that I met. But he has been quite truly um, my hero for a number of years. He took over Ford in 2006. And pretty much ever since then, I've been following and, you know, worshiping him from afar. And I found out that we had a, a mutual friend. And I was I was starting to work on this book. I sort of sensed that he would be passionate about this topic. And I said, what do I have to lose? I did kind of a Hail Mary pass. And lo and behold, he wanted to meet me. And I said, you know, Alan, he's this warm, wonderful person. I, I flew to Phoenix, which is where he spent some time uh, and, and interviewed him in person. And I said, I assume you get probably dozens of requests like this every week to talk to people. And I said, what made you so inclined to accept this? Um, and he said, honestly, no one has written this book yet. And one of the things he attributes his success to, obviously it's no one thing, but his commitment to not just his own self-awareness, but the self-awareness of his executive team, the awareness of the organizations that he's run at Boeing and Ford uh, has been, was such an instrumental part of his success. And so it was just really exciting for me to, you know, not only was I getting to meet one of my heroes, but we got to geek out about self-awareness and just, I mean, you read the stories. They're, they're incredible, incredible examples of what happens when you make that commitment. Um, so from Alan, you also talked to Angela um, Arendt, I think it was. Uh-huh. I didn't talk to her. I, I used what was available, um, which is not a lot because she's so humble in, in the media, what's been written about her. So Angela Arendt is the uh, SVP of retail over at Apple. And I use her as an illustration of the power of humility in cultivating self-awareness. And maybe I'll just back up and tell your listeners, they probably know this just as well as you and I do, but the world that we live in is becoming increasingly self-absorbed and less and less self-aware. So what most people feel like is, um, you know, I understand myself because I post multiple updates about my professional career on Facebook. Uh, what passes for self-awareness is not usually self-awareness. It can often be um, sort of an arrogance or a, a level of self-absorption. And so what I talk about um, in the book is this idea that we're all been tempted, we're all being tempted to join something called the cult of self. And one of the ways that we can fight that is to cultivate our own humility. And so I use um, Angela Renz as an example of a very powerful person. She's actually one of the most, if not, I think, the most highly compensated employee, uh, at least in America. Her, her package is you know, tens of millions of dollars every year. But Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, hired her. Um, she used to be the, the CEO of Burberry, of the luxury clothing manufacturer. And he hired her not because she was a, a whiz in uh, you know, all the technical sides of their business, but because she was the kind of person who would go in and listen and talk to people and not sort of arrogantly or naively push her own agenda when maybe the right answer was out there um, among the people that work in their stores every day. And you know that you're sort of looking at the way Apple's performing, and and they have uh, many challenges, as a lot of people in the tech world do. But her performance and her business unit has been pretty consistently strong. And in particular, they had one of the highest employee morale figures ever recorded in the year after she got there. And what I love about that is is we Americans sort of have this. Uh, view of senior executives that they have to be powerful and they have to be strong and sometimes the strongest most powerful thing you can do is to listen and to, to admit that you don't have the right answers and, and be willing to get that from your environment and so that's just such a critical part of, of setting the stage for self-awareness mm -hmm. and a quiet confidence yeah um, good call some of the things that you stated in battling uh, the cult to self was to be an informer instead of a me former. In other words, when you're talking to people, don't talk to so much about yourself. And you challenged us as the reader to spend 24 hours monitoring how many times we talk about ourselves. Um, I actually haven't done that challenge because I just finished the book. So I'm going to have to start that one right now. And I think if you're like most people, you might be very surprised at the results of that experiment. I know I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to suck. Um, I'm going to be like, dang it. 
saying it, I'm more self-absorbed than I want to admit. Um, you talk about cultivating humility, um, just as you were just sharing right now. Um, and then being able to have self-acceptance. And I know that's where a lot yeah. of us struggle is we're always comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. And then the last is to monitor your inner monologue. And I like to say, like, that's one of the biggest ones because what we hear about, we think about, we think about, we talk about, what we talk about, we ultimately bring about. And so many times if we even listen to our words, not just for how much we talk about ourselves, but listen to our words to see how critical we actually are of ourselves or we diminish ourselves. In the middle of a presentation just the other day, Someone was getting up their PowerPoint, and they said, oh, I'm so sorry, um, I had some problems with these slides, um, but we're going to just do the best we can. And to me, that's like taking the focus off of me and putting on these slides, so if my presentation doesn't go right, you don't blame me, but you blame my slides. <laughs> it's like a deeply psychological thing that we do. And I think that's part of some of the things, and I can't remember the terminology, maybe you can help me on this, but like we don't want to admit the areas or we neglect the air to talk about or even think about the areas that were weak. Mm-hmm. And part of it too is think about the world we live in and in particular, think about what the corporate world is like. You know, we have all these expressions like never let them see you sweat, keep a stiff upper lip. Um, one of my favorites is it's better to keep your mouth closed and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. And so we're, we're socialized to not show weakness. And one of the, I think you've hit on one of the absolute most important leadership lessons I have learned and I try to teach the people that I work with, which is vulnerability as a leader is strength. And it's so counterintuitive, you know, to, to raise your hand and say, you know what, I know the least about this thing than anyone in this room does. Why don't you guys enlighten me? Or, boy, did I mess up that client meeting. And granted, you don't want to go too far and just look like a, you know, hapless fool who doesn't know how to do your job. But um, it, it's, it's within reason. You, you want, because everybody knows, um, well, most of the time people have amazing BS detectors. They know when you're not being authentic. They know if you've made a mistake and you're not admitting it. And so it's it's either an opportunity to lose respect or gain respect. And I think the more you can just steer into that vulnerability, um, being someone who works on that myself all the time, I think that the better our relationships are and the better our results are. Hey there, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to check to see if you're looking for a speaker for your next event. Did you know I do that sort of thing? I know, kind of crazy, right? Podcast guy turned speaker guy. I work with executives with the world's largest companies to advance how they succeed in this ever-evolving business environment. I've spoken at corporate headquarters for Walmart and Whole Foods and Coke, BMW, and several others. I've been featured on AOL.com, Huffington Post, and VentureBeat. I'm also the host of this podcast right here and Inc.com Top 20 Business Podcasts. I have topics that I talk about that include leadership, the future of work, the hard skills of soft skills, managing millennials, and the world of digital transformation. And I can also speak on any number of the topics you've heard right here on the Up In Your Business Podcast show. So if you want more information about how you can contact me and learn about what I can offer and bring to your audience, simply go to AngusNelson.com forward slash speaking. There's a link there that will take you to a form that you can fill out and tell me everything that you're looking for. I'll connect with you and we'll make it happen. Again, that's AngusNelson.com forward slash speaking. Can't wait to be a part of your next event. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, I want to like key off more of that that leadership part. So you talk about the CEO disease. I think that's a great segue. Can you share with our audience about that? Sure. CEO disease is essentially the idea that the more power you gain, whether you're in an organizational role, a political role, really any kind of formal power, the more removed you get from um, the impact of your behavior and your decisions. And this really surprised me in my research, but what I and others have found is um, people who are more senior are less self-aware. So if you take a, a bunch of, you know, 100 CEOs and 100 frontline leaders, you're going to find that on average, the CEOs are less self-aware than the frontline leaders. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is sort of this fascinating psychological phenomenon where um, power quite literally goes to our head. There's been a lot of research that shows that our empathy decreases when we're in positions of power. 
But along with that, you think about a lot of CEOs, um, you know, it's hard for people to tell the truth to power. And if you're like most people, you don't want to hear the truth that's hard. So you you surround yourself with um, individuals who are not necessarily going to tell you those tough truths. And so it becomes this this reinforcing cycle. You know, and again, I've mentioned a lot of examples, but another one is Travis Kalanick at Uber. You look at some of the decisions that he's made as his company has become more and more successful and as he's become more and more powerful, it just shows how vulnerable you can be when you're not paying attention to your own self-awareness, you know, in any position of power, in my opinion. I live in the South, so when we talk about Uber, we can just say, bless his heart. Bless his heart. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, you talk about a couple of exercises that leaders can do. One was the dinner of truth. Another was that 360-degree feedback. I think there's one more I might be missing, but can you kind of share like that kind of, I mean, you're asking to be kind of picked apart, but in a safe way. Exactly. And I, I like that you said that because one of the things I learned from the, you know, the, these unicorns that made dramatic transformations in their level of self-awareness is that they were very picky about who they asked for feedback from. Um, and so maybe I'll go into the dinner of truth because I think it's maybe the simplest and just most, it's something that your listeners can take away and do tomorrow if they want to. Um, but what you want to do is find someone who, um, sort of fits two criteria. Number one, you care about your relationship with them and you know that it's sort of mutually trusting. In other words, they want you to be successful. They don't have any kind of ulterior motive, uh, maybe where they don't. But the second and just as important is they have to be willing to tell you the truth. You, you know, I, I think about if, if I want some honest and critical feedback, the last person I'm going to go to, even though I know she has my best interest at heart, is my mother. And bless her heart, <laughs> she'll tell me that I wrote the best book of all time. She'll tell you know, whatever it may be. So what you've really got to do, oh, honey, you're the best. And I, and I adore her. And when I need to be picked up, she's the first place I go. Um, but when I want to take charge of my destiny and achieving my potential. I want somebody who's going to um, you know, be willing to put the honest truth on the table. So the exercise that I talk about in the book um, is called the dinner of truth. And it was actually developed by a really awesome communications professor called Josh Meisner. And what it entails is finding someone who fits those criteria, inviting them out to dinner, sitting them down and asking them in so many words, what do I do that is most annoying to you? And then, and this is critical, closing your mouth, maybe asking questions to better understand it, but taking that information in. Now, we're all not always going to agree, but um, after having done this exercise myself three times now, I can tell you that um, sometimes it helps us understand things we're already doing that we knew, but sometimes it can be a powerful opportunity for us to improve our relationship, not just with that person, but everybody in our lives. And that goes to that idea that information is power. Um, It might not always be pleasant, although I will tell you there can be some really pleasant surprises when we do this. Um, But no matter what, it gives us that opportunity to improve. And that's what I think is so critical. We don't want to sort of sit and wait for this for somebody to blindside us with this feedback. We want to take charge and we want to get it on our own terms. And and I don't know about you, but I personally find that really empowering. Yeah, I always remember this nugget when I was kind of going through my my kind of process was that which has the most power to transform you will at first offend you. Mm, wow. Wow, I love that. And when you when you get a piece of truth that someone delivers to you, you know, our first reaction usually is defensive. Um, mm-hmm. But then after we spend some time chewing on it and, you know, gosh, all the ruminating, I don't know, all the terms you used in here, but meditating on, gosh, sometimes the clarity strikes a chord and you go, holy cow, that is so true. Mm-hmm. So when we go into leadership from this high level and now we want to lead our teams, we want to lead our families, we want to lead ourselves. You gave some great exercises in here of steps someone can take. I want you to just take off author hat here for a moment, and I want you to talk directly to the listener. What are some things that you, the listener, could do right now to increase your self-awareness and your insight? So the first step, no matter what your other steps are, is a decision that you have to make and that we all have to make, which is 
I want to take my um, my life and my career and my relationships into my own hands. And I know that to do that, I have to take some energy to work on this. I have to muster some courage. I might have to go through, you know, a couple of times that are not going to be particularly pleasant. But I believe that knowing, knowing the perception, knowing with with clarity sort of who I am and what makes me tick is always better than not knowing. And, and that sounds sort of silly and procedural, but what I what I found in studying those highly self-aware people is not only have they made that commitment, but they literally wake up um, almost every day with an open mind about those things. So they're they're questioning assumptions about themselves. They're um, again asking for feedback from those loving critics, those people who will tell us the truth. And then if you take it from there, you can really break it down. You can say, what can I do every day and how can I sort of have those sum total effects? So here's something really simple um, that your listeners can start doing today. Um, and I think it's a great place to start. I call it the daily check-in. And what you want to do, um, basically at the end of each day, whether you're driving home from work, whether you're sitting in bed, you know, before you're going to turn on the TV and, and try to go to sleep, just ask yourself a couple of questions. Um, the first one, and I might not get this exactly right from the book, but general gist, um, the first one is, what went well today that I'm proud of? The second question is, you know, maybe what was challenging or what didn't go the way I thought it would? And then that's related to the third question is, you know, what, what can I work on or what can I focus on tomorrow to help me address that challenge if I get it again? And it sounds so simple, but it goes back to what we were saying earlier, that those that daily commitment, those sort of smaller ahas, really can build into bigger ahas. And in the book, I talk about, oh, gosh, so many tools we don't have time for. But, you know, how you can um, be mindful without meditation, more information on how to get feedback from people and a really specific process to do it. But I think if, you know, if, if people want something they can just take away and start doing, I'd say, Try those daily check-ins and then schedule a dinner of truth. Schedule that dinner with someone who uh, you want to improve your relationship with, who you know has your best interest at heart, and ask them that question and prepare to sort of bask in the insight and, and um, controlling of your destiny. <laughs> It'll give bask you. in the insight. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, you have a, um, a I'm just going to quote something in here, which you're, you're quoting somebody else. So this is a quote of a quote. But uh, as Buddhist. I don't know how to say this gentleman's name or, or woman. Uh, as Buddhist nun, it would be a nun, so it's a woman. Uh, Pema Chodron? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did I say it right? Yep, I think so. She said, the most uh, fundamental harm we can do to ourselves is to remain ignorant by not having the courage and the respect to look at ourselves honestly and gently. And luckily, the difference between unicorns and everyone else has less to do with innate ability and more to do with intention and commitment. And that really underscores what you said. But I love the way that this uh, Buddhist nun stated, we look honestly, but more importantly, gently. Because at the end of the day, we're not trying to be critical of ourselves to tear ourselves down, but rather to build ourselves up. And you hit the nail on the head. And I think if, if your listeners remember nothing else from this conversation, I hope it's that. It's the becoming self-aware does not mean that you're going to turn into this, um, you know, unconfident, overly critical person. It means that you're going to see yourself for who you are, that you're going to work on what you want to work on. But ultimately, you're going to love and accept that person um, and, and not beat yourself up over it. If anything, people that embark on this journey learn a lot more positive things about themselves that they didn't know before, frankly, than negative ones. Um, and I see that time and again. Yeah. And you said that um, self-awareness is the will and the skill to understand yourself and how others see you so that you can understand your values, your passions, your aspirations, your fit, your patterns, your reactions, and your impact. Those are those seven pillars of insight. Super, super powerful. If you haven't figured out by now, I totally love this book, and I really want to encourage you to get it. Uh, I want to dive into some other stuff here, and then uh, we're going to close coming back to the book. So I just want to put this on pause for just a few moments. And I want to ask you about how this all applies to the future of work. Um, We're looking at 
bigger companies are splitting into smaller companies, whether that be Google and going from that to XYZ and splitting up all of its different departments, whether it's East Bay, East Bay, eBay, and uh, East Bay is like the sporting clothes, eBay's selling stuff. So eBay and um, uh, PayPal splitting, Xerox is splitting into companies. So small is the new big, but in addition, full-time employees are kind of going away and being replaced with contract labor, uh, consultants, etc. How do you see the necessity of self-awareness and insight rising even greater with the demands that if you have people who work for you but are not necessarily full-time employees, they're not attached to golden handcuffs anymore. You can't treat them like trash. They can get up and leave and take your intellectual property with them. Can you share maybe what your insight is on those kinds of insights? <laughs> sure. Well, the first thing I'll say is I think you provided a lot of insight uh, just even in how you asked that question. I, I'd never really thought about this until you asked it. But I do think there's sort of two sides of this. There's the employee and the employer. So I'll start with the employer. Um, and you're absolutely right. If, if you have a bunch of contractors working for you who literally tomorrow could wake up and say, you know what, I don't like you very much. I don't want to work with you anymore. It is incumbent upon you to make sure that you understand and control the impact you're having on other people. I think you're absolutely right. You know, we look at our parents' generation and, um, you know, God bless them. My dad has worked for the same company for longer than I've been alive. And that provided a space or an opportunity for, for more bad behavior than I think, especially contract employees will put up with nowadays. So um, if you're a boss, and particularly if you're a boss who supervises contractors, you've got to listen. But I also think there's a fascinating side to your question on the employee side. You, again, we're not having one career with one company for you know decades. We are able to wake up in some cases every day and say, you know, what kind of work do I want to do today? Maybe I'm, you know, and, and we're seeing this trend more and more, but you're, you're doing multiple contract jobs instead of one full-time job where you're told what to do. And so there's that internal side of self-awareness, which is, what do I want to do? You know, like you said, what are my aspirations? What kind of environment is going to make me happy and engaged? And certainly, um, if you don't do that work, um, you know, you could probably get by. You might not be terribly happy with what you're doing. But if you do that work, you can pick and choose how you spend your time and how you make your money um, in a way that, that I feel lucky to have, which is I would do all of this for free. And the reason I feel that way is I love what I do. And I think it just this kind of economy opens people up to having more empowerment to make those choices for themselves, but they can only make those choices if they know what they want. Yeah, and I think even on that angle, if you really unpack it a little bit deeper is, you know, you're independent. Again, if you're a contractor, freelancer, whatever title you want to give it, um, now you've got to manage your own brand. You've got to manage your, your, your company owner now, and you have to manage your reputation and your network. Um, so you've got to step out if you're an introvert, finding ways to connect with people that are authentic and that can lead to you know future business or future collaboration. At the same time, you have to have the courage not only to contend with your own demons and fears, but then also to contend with putting yourself out there to find other opportunities, to advance. Um, how do you see people using self-awareness? Again, these, these terms kind of get swapped around, uh, emotional intelligence and, and insight, to advance themselves in that arena. Again, I think that's really perceptive. You know, you, you think about Somebody like me, I'll just use myself as an example. So I, I have a consulting business where I work for companies, right? And if I sort of put out my shingle and if I make my website and if I make my marketing materials and I don't check in to see, you know, I might know, I might think I know what my brand is, but it might be completely wrong from the way my clients see me. And so, you know, there's sort of a couple of elements to that. One is if you're really off base, you're probably going to fail. But um, in a more normal situation, you might just be losing, you know, for lack of a better word, insight 
about how you can grow and strengthen your brand and your business. Um, and so for me, you know, you can ask most of my clients at, at this point, I think some of them are annoyed with how much feedback I ask from them because I always want to know, um, you know, how is this working for you? What's the outcome that you've seen? And and I truly believe, and, and the data supports this, that um, a lot of that work has a bottom line impact on the business. And so I'm really relentless and trying to seek that out. And, you know, again, we, we open ourselves up to, um, you know, they could tell us anything, but it's, we have to ask if we, if we want to take, especially as a business owner or somebody who um, is, is working as a contract worker, we've got to know the truth. And a lot of times the truth might even, there might be things about someone's brand that are good that they don't even know about. So I think you're right. They've got to do that work too, in terms of sort of how they're seen. Um, from by the way, this, while you're saying the total side note, you that are listening, I'm, if you are independent or if you're in sales, I'm going to give you like a quick thought as you were talking. I thought of an interview I did with Scott Jordan, which was episode 015. Uh, he was the founder of Scotty Vest. And one of the things he said in there is the most important thing is to F you. And that stands for follow up. Of course, he's a really abrasive kind of guy. So he, he let that pregnant pause sit there a little bit longer. Um, but it is all about following up. So like many times, we, like you said, put your shingle out, you set up your website, and then you make calls and then people don't respond. And what do we think? We place judgment on them and say, oh, they didn't respond because they don't care. They didn't respond because they don't respect me. They didn't respond because they don't like me and they don't like my product. Or they... And we build all of this like false narrative in our heads as to why yeah. that person never responded. And the simple fact is most of us don't respond to all of our emails right away. And it may be two or three or four emails before someone says, oh, you know what? I've been so slammed. I'm so sorry. I'm getting back to you now. And it had nothing to do with all of that ridiculous goofiness you had in your head. That's it. I, I'm definitely guilty of that. And I think you're right. We can sometimes tell ourselves stories that are far more dramatic than the actual truth if we just found it out. Yeah. And um, as I was reading your book, um, there were some elements in that, too, that I just got tickled because I can paint some of those scenarios in my own head about some of those false belief mechanisms. I love and we didn't even talk about this in the book, but this is something I'd, I'd love to dive into is we think these certain things will get us these certain results. But you actually go through some of the, you know, that those are actually not true. Um, gosh, what was the word you, you used? Um, self-esteem. The more self-esteem yes, you yes, have, yes. the more self-awareness that you're going to have. And you kind of call BS on that. Can you kind of share about those kind of thinkings? Yes. Oh, gladly. I love, I love this topic because I think it's so juicy. Um, the basic essence of, of what I talk about there is this idea that um, we search for and try to build our self-esteem uh, independent of the objective reality of our circumstances. Here's what I mean by that. Um, you know, kids nowadays, I think I'm old enough that I can say that now, are, are growing up in a world where they're getting partic participation ribbons. Um, they're getting a pat on the back for even the most minor accomplishments. And, and all of that is rooted in a movement, um, the self-esteem movement, which has been um, categorically disproven. Um, what's been found, there's a psychologist named Roy Baumeister who just does fascinating work. And what he's found is um, self-esteem not only does it not help us be more successful when we have self-esteem that's unwarranted, you know, I think I'm awesome, but maybe I'm a giant jerk. It makes us less successful in our lives. And so this whole social movement that really started in the 1950s with the humanistic movement in psychology and really kind of ballooned in the eighties and nineties and even now is based on a false premise. So what I talk about is an antidote to self-esteem is something I call self-acceptance. And that goes back to the honestly and gently concept that you mentioned earlier. Self-esteem is about thinking that I'm awesome regardless of whether or not I'm awesome. Self-acceptance is knowing the things about myself that are awesome, but also knowing what is not so perfect about me. And yet, accepting and appreciating who I am in spite of all of that. And, and deciding, you know, if, if I want to work on these things, I can do that. If I want to simply be aware of them and be more transparent about them, I can be. Um, but that's a really critical difference. And I think we are just so programmed as a society to 
blindly chase self-esteem that nobody seems, I mean, it's just such a convenient thing, right? Why be awesome when you can think that you're awesome? It requires a lot less work, a lot less energy, a lot less uh, courage. But, but I really will challenge your listeners, as we all should, to focus on that self-acceptance, is knowing the truth, loving ourselves, being gentle with ourselves, but sort of seeing ourselves as we really are. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, in your introduction, you wrote this book for the reason that you wanted to make a leap from self-blindness to self-insight and in turn reap the rewards of smarter choices, stronger relationships, and a better life. How is it that you became so passionate about writing a book that's full of all sorts of complexity and psychology to reach such a simple um, goal? Yeah, that's great. I think that the most powerful truths are often the ones that feel most intuitive. But I, what I also am just fascinated by with this topic is that, you know, my and others' research has shown that so many of the things we think are true about what builds our self-awareness don't actually work. And so the, I had a boss that used to call this simplicity on the other side of complexity. So it's not being simplistic and saying, rah, rah, go you. It's saying this is a critical life skill. Um, and here are the sort of empirically supported tools and methods you can use to get there. And that's where, you know, frankly, in my opinion, and part of why I was so passionate about writing this book is that so many people that write about self-awareness cover it in a in a fairly superficial way. You know, the, there'll be an article in Forbes and it'll say, work on your self-awareness, get feedback from people. But that, that neglects so many of the complexities around who we should ask and what we should ask them and how we should ask them that I really wanted to dig a little bit deeper. Um, and that's something that I've always been, you know, I geek out about the weirdest things. But in this case, I think I tried to channel my geekiness into something that would really help improve people's lives and, and their careers. That's funny. I actually did catch you had something on the bottom of one of these pages where you said for all your data geeks and you actually gave some data and it was really kind of cheap. <laughs> um, that showed your personality. I love it. Um, so as we bring it in for a landing, I want to read something out of this uh, in this book. Um, you gave some illustrations from George Washington and from Franklin and some others. Um, but this is particularly from Franklin. Franklin, he likened uh, the approach of going through self-awareness and kind of examining all this. He said, it's like weeding an overgrown garden. If you just walk up and start pulling weeds willy-nilly, you wouldn't feel like you were making much progress. But instead, if you tackled just one bed at a time, you'd be surprised at how quickly you'd end up with a better-looking garden. And although by Franklin's own admission, he never quite arrived at the moral perfection he set out to achieve, which is a typical unicorn comment, he was a better and happier man than I otherwise should have been if I had not attempted it. Tasha, thank you for venturing to open up this conversation and helping people see the light that they too can have hope and join this journey with you. Oh, thank you. It was really a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Tasha, for joining us on the show today. Uh, she actually posted up on her social profiles um, a picture that she took while we were talking on uh, Skype. Um, I showed her my notes that I uh, took on on her book. I put them in. When I when I read a book, I get to a page and I'll like dog ear it, I'll underline it, highlight it, asterisk, whatever. But if it's something that I want to keep as a note, I'll actually write it inside of the cover, like in those first couple of pages that are typically blank. And uh, so I will list like all these pages and, you know, the page number and then the little notes or nuggets. And uh, she was so impressed and flattered. Uh, she took a picture and like I said, posted on her social. So um, that's the way you read a book to me is you got to chew it up. And that gives me quick reference points to remember what were the great things uh, that are my takeaways. So in any number of my books, you can just flip open that first cover and you'll see a whole list of the things that I think are important from the book. I probably should read, you know, maybe create some little cliff notes. That would be kind of a cool little, uh, or not. <laughs> okay, so on this interview, obviously, I loved it. And uh, that entire topic of self-awareness, you know, I believe is so critical to becoming a good leader, a spouse, a friend, a parent, or just a quality human being altogether. And I hope that shines through, through the conversation. So for you, 
the listener, if you've you know taken the time to listen and you now want to dive into the world of learning more about yourself, first I want to you know ask you to just go purchase Tasha's book. Tasha's book is available um, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, any of the other sites. I'll, I'll have actually a link on um, our. Um, uh, my website uh, to that in the show notes, um, so you can go there too. In addition, um, I've got two action items I want to leave you with, and that is this. So number one, take the Enneagram personality test. Now, I know we didn't talk about that throughout the show. Um, there's lots of personality tests out there, um, but the Enneagram is what I believe was the first test um, that I took that actually put words to my own thoughts, perceptions, and behavior. Um, so I've taken Myers-Briggs. I've done Disc Profile. I've done a number of others, uh, Colby A Index, a whole bunch. But this is the first one, like I said, that really kind of did a little tweak in my head. So um, I'll put a link to the free test that I took, um, and then you can kind of learn more about yourself through that. In addition, not only does it tell you kind of what your personality preferences are, but it also talks about where you go emotionally or behaviorally uh, when you're in a healthy state or in an unhealthy state. So that's the Enneagram. Again, a link will be in the show notes. And the second uh, action item I want to ask of you is that you organize a truth dinner with a trusted confidant. Uh, kind of like we were talking in this interview in in uh, Tasha's book, you find a friend that you can go out to dinner and then ask them to tell you what are some of those areas that probably need a little polishing, need some refinement. And, you know, that's where you can learn from somebody who loves you and wants the best for you and you've created a place for them to be open with you. You can learn about... Um, how you impact those around you through your own nature or your strengths or your weaknesses. And you can't uh, learn without asking somebody else. There was a quote, uh, you probably hear me talk about every now and then, where it says something along the lines of, you know, none of us can read the label from inside our own jar. We always need someone outside our jar to tell us like it is. And so with that, if you have any questions or thoughts on today's show, Maybe you want to ask me some questions. Please come and find me. I'm on Twitter, at Angus Nelson. If you want to email me, hello at angusnelson.com would suffice. If you're looking for those links I was talking about, the easiest way you can do is go to angusnelson.com forward slash 065. That's the show for today. And other than that, I am your host, Angus Nelson. Please go ahead and tell your friends about this show because the greatest compliment you can give is a referral to someone else, either by telling them in person or sharing it on the web. I would love for you to see, or I'd love to see for you to post it online and tag me on it um, so I can say hi. Keep taking your business up by getting up in your business. Live intentionally, love extravagantly, and lead with self-awareness. Be amazing. Thanks for listening to the Up In Your Business podcast with Angus Nelson. Find more at upinyourbusiness.co. Remember, that's .co, not com.